Welcome back to another episode of the Draft Board Podcast. I am your host, Jordan Reed. You can follow me on Twitter at JReedNFL. That's at J-R-E-I-D-N-F-L. And I do my best to post certain clips of certain prospects, some things that I may be thinking of during the pre-draft process, or just some thoughts that may simply be in my head. And that's exactly what Twitter is all about. It's your personal diary and what exactly you're thinking at that moment. And the best thing about draft season is that you see everyone posting these clips and how they view each and every one of these prospects. And the greatest thing about that is we all get to go back and forth and have these healthy debates about each and every prospect. Because let's be honest, we're all not going to see every single guy very similarly just because that's how the process works. Some guy might have a first round grade on the same prospect that I might have a third round grade on. Well, let's talk about it. Let's see the differences that we're seeing in this prospect and why is there such a big discrepancy in round grades and how can we have a healthy debate to come to a common consensus or it may just be okay to agree to disagree. That's what happens in these war rooms during the pre-draft process and during the actual draft and every GM doesn't agree with every what every scout says in the war room and they're just not able to take risk on certain prospects and so it's okay to have these healthy debates because they go on not only on Twitter but they go on in these war rooms and these draft rooms on actual draft days and that's what I think Twitter is all about It's very okay to have these healthy debates about certain prospects because that's what makes this entire process fun it's a multi-month process to where we all get tedious of the situation and we all just want to find homes for these prospects and we're getting to that point we're starting to collect more data as the combine approaches and then we're going to have these pro days where we're getting actual numbers as opposed to going off what their testing was in spring and summer so we're finally starting to collect final data on all these prospects now i just wanted to give you a rundown of exactly what's going to happen or be discussed on today's edition of the draft board podcast we're actually going to have a rundown of my top five quarterbacks in this draft class, and we're going to compare and contrast them to how they stack up to the 2018 class, which was very talented from a year ago with Baker Mayfield, Josh Rosen, Sam Darnold, Josh Allen, and Lamar Jackson. And just to give you a quick tip or insight into my top five quarterbacks, is going to be Dwayne Haskins, Kyler Murray, Drew Locke, Daniel Jones, and Will Greer. But the first topic that I want to discuss is that The Combine invitations have officially been distributed, but there's been a couple notable names that were left off the list because of domestic violence charges from their past. And that's Jeffrey Simmons, the interior defensive lineman from Mississippi State, and Preston Williams, the very talented wide receiver from Colorado State. Let's start off with Preston Williams because his story is a bit different than Jeffrey Simmons is from the past. Preston Williams started off his career at Tennessee. He was a highly touted recruit, a five-star labeled as one of the better receivers in the entire country. He signed his NLI, his letter of intent, with Tennessee. He stayed there for two years, and he had some domestic violence issues with a girlfriend or a counterpart that he did have at the time. He elected to transfer from Tennessee because he felt like it was just a toxic situation for him and that the university just wasn't helping him and the coaching staff wasn't helping him to get through his issues at the time. And it wasn't just that that happened to him. Later on, or a couple weeks later, after electing to transfer from Tennessee, he got in trouble with the restraining order that the girlfriend did have against him, and it was just best for for him to get out of Knoxville. So he got out of that situation, and he went on to Colorado State, and he was just fantastic last year. Had over 90 catches, nearly a 1,500 receiving yard season, and he had his best year to date. 
And what you're noticing now is a lot of people are starting to notice his film and his name is starting to resurface after his entire fiasco at Tennessee to now where he's positioned to help, he's positioned himself to be in the draftable range. But now his name has come up again with the domestic abuse stuff and not being invited to the combine. So now he's really taken away from his situation of getting a higher grade with teams because now he can't sit down at the combine and have those face-to-face meetings with those teams because, of course, because of his past, he wasn't able to get that illustrious combine invitation to where he could show off not only his talents, but he could sit down with these teams and just explain his story and tell them exactly what happened with the situation and how maybe he's just moved on and distanced himself from that entire situation and how he's basically matured and grown up from that entire situation from when he was at Tennessee. He stayed clean from when he was at Colorado State. And now his stock is starting to pick back up from when he was that illustrious five-star high school prospect. And the talent is clearly evident with him. That's something that you're going to notice with Preston Williams. His talent just jumps off the screen and he just oozes what you want to see in one of those upper echelon top wide receiver prospects. But he does he does come with a lot of baggage and his past. Some teams just aren't going to be able to welcome that on their roster and into their locker room culture. With Jeffrey Simmons, like I alluded to earlier, his situation is a bit different in that his situation happened when he was a senior in high school going into Mississippi State. Mississippi State still did honor his letter of intent and his scholarship his entire tenure there with the Bulldogs, and he didn't have any slip-ups or any stains on his resume his entire time in Starkville. Now, with Jeffrey Simmons' situation, his was a bit different from Preston Williams in that he was defending a sibling. So, just to shed a little light on the situation for listeners that might not know exactly what happened with Jeffrey Simmons' situation, what happened was his sister, his younger sister, was in a situation with another female counterpart. They were involved in the fight, and Jeffrey Simmons stepped in to defend his sister, and the video is very disturbing. And what he did after that, he issued a Facebook apology, and that's not saying I'm not defending Jeffrey Simmons or anything of that nature, but it was very good of him to issue an apology right after because he recognized the mistake that he did and the slip-up that he had. But the best thing about Jeffrey Jeffrey Simmons and for his stock is that he has not had any slip-ups in his entire time in Mississippi State. His coaching staff and his teammates have been very adamant and very defenseful about him and that he's a model citizen. He hasn't had any prior or any mess-ups since that entire ordeal that happened with him prior to him at Mississippi State. But the best thing for Jeffrey Simmons is that his resume has been entirely clean in his three years with the Bulldogs. But he's another guy that's ultimately, unfortunately, not going to be invited to the combine. So the first time that he will be face-to-face with teams is when he's at his pro day and when he will have these one-on-one meetings with general managers, head coaches, assistant coaches, and position coaches when they do come down to Starkville for his pro day. So if he's able to ace those pro days, maybe maybe he will stay in the first round conversation. But I think he's a prime candidate for a guy that may have, may experience some type of draft slip especially maybe even out of the first round because we all know how serious domestic abuse is within the NFL now with the entire Ray Rice situation that happened multiple years ago and then 
We've seen previous circumstances with this as well, with prospects not being invited to the combine and then ultimately having a slip up on draft day. And we saw it with Joe Mixon from a couple years ago. I don't want to go into too much detail about the video. I'm pretty sure a lot of people have seen it. It's very disturbing and something that ultimately ended up in him sliding on draft day into the second round. And the Bengals, they took a chance on him and he's turned out to be a very good player. And there's going to be some teams that completely wipe off Jeffrey Simmons off their draft board, and they're not going to be willing to take that risk because of what he did. But all it takes is one team to fall in love with the prospect, and that's something that we've seen. And there's going to be other examples of some other guys in future years that's not going to be invited to the combine as well. But Jeffrey Simmons and Preston Williams definitely are two notable names to watch as we get closer to April just to see how their previous years and their past really affect their draft stock. Moving on, I want to talk about the position that's always the most highly debated because it is the most important position in sports. Everyone wants to know how great is this quarterback class? Does it stack up or how does it stack up to the 2018 class from a year ago? Do we have a Baker Mayfield? Do we have a Sam Darnold? Do we have a Josh Rosen, Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson in this class? And my simple answer is no, we do not. There is not that marquee high-end talent in this class or that young high upside signal caller that we see in years past or that we saw in years past. It's just not in this class. And there's going to be so many debates about who is the top quarterback in this class. And the biggest difference between this class and last class is that you saw guys that were going to be future stars. And you just knew that Baker Mayfield's star was going to shine bright when he got in Cleveland. You knew that Sam Darnold was eventually going to turn into a superstar and show signs of life, even though he did struggle early on. Josh Rosen, he did struggle early on, but you saw glimpses of what he could be, and they have to find him some protection. They have to get him some weapons out on the perimeter for them to see exactly what he could turn into. Josh Allen, he did struggle early on. He suffered an injury midseason, but towards the latter half of the year, you saw the Bills and offensive coordinator Brian Dabble incorporate some quarterback runs as well as a mixture of play-action passes, and that's how Josh Allen gets his game going. And then we also saw Lamar Jackson come on late during the season into the playoffs once he did replace Joe Flacco, and they incorporated and centered an offense directly around his running style, and then incorporating some play-action passes down the field and then the intermediate areas of the field as well. So you just knew that some of the quarterbacks from the 2018 class were eventually going to turn the corner and turn into stars, and all of them didn't show the upside that Baker Mayfield showed from day one uh, when he did go in against the Jets and just showed just how great of a player he could be. And I just think the world of the 2018 class, and we were completely spoiled by all those guys. Let's just be honest. All of those teams are really positioned for the next five years to be those teams that they thought they could be. And even some the next 10 to 12 years that already have those high end upside guys. And that's what you're thinking with Sam Darnold and Baker Mayfield. We'll see what happens with Josh Rosen and Josh Allen and Lamar Jackson down the road. But I think for the short, short term, they will be very viable options. But on the subject of this class, let's talk about the 2019 class. My top quarterback right now is Dwayne Haskins from Ohio State. The biggest thing that worries you with Haskins is the small sample size. Since 1973, there have been 100 quarterbacks drafted in the first round. The only ones who have had a small or similar sample size to Dwayne Haskins has been Mark Sanchez, Cam Newton, and Mitchell Trubisky. A very small and illustrious group, and it's definitely been a mixed bag. Cam Newton has obviously had the most success out of all of those guys. 
Mitchell Trubisky still has a small sample size with it being only his second year in the league. And Mark Sanchez has basically flamed out and he is now a glorified backup. So there's high variances and low variances of examples of what Dwayne Haskins could eventually turn into. Maybe he becomes a higher echelon player like a Cam Newton, or is he going to flame out like Mark Sanchez? And we won't know that until he gets further along into his career. And it's just all going to depend on the situation that he does end up landing in. And if you go back and watch his film, it's just a joy to watch him get better as the year goes on. And he started off decent during the beginning parts of the year, but he hit a bit of a bump in the road when he played against Penn State, Purdue, and Nebraska. Those were arguably his three worst games. But those last five games, Michigan State, Maryland, Michigan, Northwestern, Washington, in the bowl game, he was just fantastic. And what you saw with him is that he wasn't very good against pressure in those Penn State, Purdue, and Nebraska games. But as he developed and he grew throughout the year, you saw him climbing the pocket. You saw him avoiding defenders. And the one thing you have to understand about Dwayne Haskins is that he is not a guy that's going to take a lot of risk. He takes a safe approach, and he is just going to take what the defense gives him. And the best thing that the Ohio State offensive coaching staff did with him is that they did not ask him to do things that he wasn't comfortable with. They ran a lot of shallow crosses, a lot of high-low reads, and that's where he is best at. He's going to take what the defense gives him. He's very rarely ever going to test the defense deep. But when those opportunities present themselves, he's going to take it. And his deep accuracy was hit or miss. But as the year went along, he was much better at it. So if he's able to land in a situation where with the offensive coaching staff that can cater to his skill set and maybe not force him to play right away, because I don't think he's going to be he's not going to be ready to play from day one, in my honest opinion. But if he can go somewhere to a situation that has an offense that really doesn't predicate themselves or revolves their offense around pushing the ball down the field so much like a Kansas City Chiefs and Andy Reid situation or offense that is of that sort. And if he can go somewhere like the New York Giants with Pat Shermer, that runs a lot of those shallow crossers, double crossing routes and mesh concepts that they are universally called, just like he ran at Ohio State, I think that's going to be a fantastic situation for Dwayne Haskins. And you talk about pairing him with Odell Beckham Jr., with Saquon Barkley, with Sterling Shepard, with with Evan Ingram. Now you're getting to a situation where you can build that offense around him. Now you have to protect him because he is not the most nimble athlete and he's not going to be able to consistently create off script or off schedule, which definitely is a huge concern with him. But if you're able to protect him, build up that offensive line around him. They did a great job last year signing Nate Solder and then drafting Will Hernandez. Now they need to fill in some other parts and just surround that offense with him to where they can move on or prepare for life without Eli Manning, whether that's next year or even in 2020, and just hand over the reins to Dwayne Haskins. But I think he he doesn't have a super high upside ceiling like we've seen with the Deshaun Watson or a Patrick Mahomes, obviously, or I think he could be anywhere in between that Deshaun Watson to Mitchell Trubisky range. I think that's a fair assessment of him and where I comfortably feel with him as a prospect. But as of right now, he is my top ranked quarterback on the board. Moving on to the next guy, my quarterback two currently is Kyler Murray from Oklahoma. One of the most polarizing prospects in this entire draft class. And it's obvious for obvious reasons. We don't know exactly what he's going to choose, whether that's baseball or football. 
he still has a decision to choose either or or if he wants to play both. But he hasn't come out and been committal to either one, which is causing a lot of concerns with him because a lot of teams are going to be scared to draft him because if they do end up drafting him, who knows to say that he might back out from them and choose to go play baseball with the Oakland A's. Spring training starts here in a couple weeks, and we'll see if he does end up going to spring training with the Oakland A's. He still hasn't signed a deal with them, and they're still having meetings every other week in order to sign a contract with him. So he's made his demands, him and his father. They've made very strict demands. They've had multiple meetings with the Oakland A's, but they still haven't had a chance to come to a common consensus. And that is very scary with Kyler Murray. His talent is evident. He's the Heisman Trophy winner. He has a high upside ceiling, but the height, that's something that's going to come back on Kyler Murray and something that's going to be reiterated about his draft stock forever and ever and ever. As long as we go through this pre-draft process until he shows to have some type of success, no matter what Baker Mayfield did last year, he's even shorter than Baker Mayfield. And I'm not, I'm not saying he can't have the success that Baker Mayfield had because I think he can. As far as an arm talent stamp standpoint, I think he's an even better deep thrower of the ball than what Baker Mayfield was. Now, he's not as accurate and physically gifted as what Baker Mayfield was as far as a ball placement and accuracy standpoint, but down the field throwing the ball, I think he's just as good or if not even better than what Baker Mayfield was, and he was tailor-made for that Oklahoma Sooners offense, and he flourished in it. He was a Heisman Trophy winner, and he just put up video game-like numbers, and that's something that we could see with Kyler Murray in the NFL because the NFL is obviously gravitating towards more of a college offensive type of approach because that's how kids and these student athletes are being brought up in these college systems and it's just catering to their games better because if these NFL coaches just keep their old archaic approach and try to force these college student athletes and these recent draftees to fit into their offense, they're going to end up getting fired and that's something that we've seen and that's been the change that the that the the NFL coaches and the approach that they have taken over the past few years they've altered their offense to suit the strong suits of these prospects and it has worked out for them we saw it last year and I keep bringing up this example with Baker Mayfield as soon as Freddie Kitchens took over that offense and Taylor made it around Baker Mayfield his stock took off and his star shined so bright because the offense was tailor made around him to where it could shine and should just show off his skill set. And that's something that's going to be required of Kyler Murray. I'm not so worried about Kyler Murray's height. His body build and his mass are what I'm more worried about. He's listed at 185 pounds. I believe it is right around 5'10". We won't know his actual measurements until he does attend the NFL Combine, even if he does attend the NFL Combine. We still don't know that yet. And a lot of people are comparing him to Russell Wilson and even Doug Flutie. And I see some of those comps in his playing style. He does have the escapability and the arm strength of pushing the ball down the field of Russell Wilson, but Russell Wilson is much thicker in his lower half than what Kyler Murray is. And with Kyler Murray, the committal and the interest level of which sport he wants to play, I think that's the biggest worry about him. And on the field, as far as production, I think he has every single tool to be great in the NFL. And the best thing that I love about Kyler Murray is that his game is able to overcome his height deficiencies. And Drew Brees is another common comparison that gets brought up about him. And I see it a little bit. And I'm not saying he's going to have the high-end ceiling like Drew Brees and he's going to have a future Hall of Fame career 
and a career trajectory that Drew Brees has had to this point. But as far as creating throwing windows, being able to maneuver inside and outside of the pocket, keeping his eyes up down the field and being able to make plays, I think he has every bit of that ability and the similar ability that Drew Brees has. So Kyler Murray is going to be one of the more highly debated prospects in this class. As far as a team that I think matches up really well with this skill set, I think the Miami Dolphins are a great fit for him because there is no expectations for the Miami Dolphins next year. They have nowhere to go but up. They've The past few seasons for them have been very mediocre. And then being in the division with the New England Patriots, there really is no expectations because everyone knows that they are going to win that division. Brian Flores is in. Adam Gase is out, who has now transitioned to the New York Jets. So Brian Flores comes in with a completely clean slate. We'll see what general manager Chris Greer does end up doing. And I'm not so sure if he's willing to risk his entire career with the Kyler Murray selection. But as far as a pick standpoint and a team standpoint, I think the Miami Dolphins will be an ideal fit for Kyler Murray at pick number 13. The next quarterback on the list, which is my third ranked guy, is Drew Locke from Missouri. One of my actual favorite prospects in this class because I think Drew Locke has the most potential of any quarterback in this class. It's just a matter of getting into a situation that can get the most out of him. And you see so much of that. You see so much of his potential on film, but there's just so many flaws that he has to fix. And the biggest flaw comes in his lower half. He just fades away from so many throws. And I love making the reference. I love referencing different sports when talking to prospects or talking about prospects because it makes the game seem much simpler and it breaks down the nuances of everything that I'm trying to basically instill and just the learning process of what I'm trying to get everybody to understand. And an example that I use with Drew Locke is that whenever you're shooting a jump shot, you love to yell Jordan or Kobe because that's the player that you're symbolizing. That's exactly what Drew Locke does on his throws when he fades back. It seems like he's yelling those phrases or those names, even on the easiest throws. It can be a check down that's five or 10 yards in front of him, and he will just simply fade away from it. And that's something that he's going to need to correct. And another common comparison for him has been Matthew Stafford, and I completely see that one as well. Now, that's not to say he's going to be the number one pick overall in the draft like Matthew Stafford was in 2009, I believe it was, but... He does have some similarities as far as being able to throw from the funky arm angles. When he's forced off of his platforms, he's still able to push the ball down the field, no matter where his targets are down the field because their arm is so strong. And he has those leadership qualities like Matthew Stafford has. He's very vocal and is very proven in his game. He's a multi-time team captain, and players really look up to Drew Locke. And that's something that's going to have to improve with him is just his footwork and his base. And the one team, and it's very evident they love Drew Locke, and it's the Denver Broncos. The Denver Broncos are very adamant in their love about Drew Locke. They've attended multiple games. John Elway has seen multiple games in person. He was at the Arkansas game. I've been told that personally that he was there looking strictly at Drew Locke. And everyone knows that John Elway has to hit on the quarterback here soon or he's not going to be the Broncos general manager here soon because he missed on Paxton Lynch and he's missed on a other. He's missed on many other quarterbacks as well. Case Keenum is not the long term answer there. Everyone knows that everyone knew as soon as he signed a two year, thirty six million dollar deal that he wasn't the long term solution there in Denver. He was just a stopgap. But I love this landing spot for Drew Locke because they still have a very strong defense and he's not forced to play right away. So he can sit back and learn behind Case Keenum. 
Case Keenum has just enough talent to hold off for another year to where Drew Locke can sit back and learn behind him. And then in 2020, hopefully his flaws will be corrected. His footwork will be cleaned up and some other parts of his game will be improved. And he can take over in 2020 and be the Denver Broncos starting quarterback. Let's transition to my fourth quarterback on my big board. And that's Daniel Jones, the quarterback from Duke who's been very much debated the past few weeks because he was a bit underwhelming at the Senior Bowl, and a lot of people were expecting a bit more from what they saw from Daniel Jones. And, of course, at the Senior Bowl, there's going to be mixed reviews. Everybody's eyes sees, sees things differently. And me personally, I was a bit underwhelmed by Daniel Jones. I thought he had a little bit more juice behind his throws than what I saw on film, and it just wasn't there with him. But He's very accurate, and that's one thing that you extremely notice with Daniel Jones, and that jumps off his tape as well. But he's a guy that picks and chooses his spots, similar to Haskins, when to go down the field. But he does have the arm strength to push the ball down the field, but just throws outside of the numbers. That's where he really struggles. But as far as throws over the middle of the field in the short to intermediate areas, and sometimes pushing the ball deep over the middle as well, he shows supreme arm talent, and that's where he feels the most comfortable. And that was seen throughout the Senior Bowl as well. And when he pushed the ball over the middle, he was very, very accurate. And that's something that you see, and he's going to have those cerebral qualities that you love to see in quarterbacks, very high IQ responsible for setting protections, responsible for audibles at the line of scrimmage. He had a lot of free reign at the line of scrimmage, and he mastered that offense. And Duke's entire offense was predicated around running RPOs because they ran so much zone scheme type of concepts, whether that was inside or outside zone. And then they counteract that with some type of RPOs with receivers on the outside, whether that was a quick slant or even a quick out. And that could have been the slot guy or the outside guy, as I alluded to earlier. And something that's always going to be brought up with Daniel Jones is that he was coached by Coach David Cutcliffe, the head coach at Duke. And everyone knows that he was the architect behind Peyton Manning at Tennessee and Eli Manning at Ole Miss, two of the better quarterbacks to ever step foot on the football field. So it'll be interesting to see exactly what happens with Daniel Jones' stock. And I don't know if he's going to be a top half of the first round type of quarterback, but we all know that the fifth-year option is something that teams love, especially with quarterbacks and how teams are really molding their roster around these cheap quarterbacks while they're on that short rookie deal that is five years, a very cheap rookie deal that is five years. So I think a team is going to trade back into the first round and end up picking Daniel Jones, but some mock drafts had him as high as seven to the Jacksonville Jaguars prior to the Senior Bowl, but we've seen his stock kind of dwindle a bit over here. So maybe at the combine and then at his pro day, he'll have a chance to see his stock pick back up once teams really start to meet him and have those sit-down meetings with him. And I think he's going to absolutely crush those because his awareness, his IQ are going to be evident when he gets up on the whiteboard. He's going to kill his pro day. I think he's going to be fine in that because it is scripted and it, they're going to they're going to have throws that are really catered to his skill set and the ones that he throws really well. Quarterback coaches are really doing a good job of that, of catering those pro days around and fitting it around those quarterbacks' strong suit and the throws that they're most comfortable making. And, of course, there's going to be some special requests to where coaches want to see him throw certain type of routes. But I think he'll be just fine with that. So we could see his stock pick back up. But it's been a bit of a roller coaster ride. But I think a team that makes a lot of sense for Daniel Jones is the Los Angeles Chargers at pick number 28. 
And that's not a knock against Phillip Rivers at all. I think the world of Phillip Rivers, and I think he has two-plus years left in the tank in his career, and he unfortunately wasn't able to get over the hump this year against the New England Patriots. But I think it would be wise for the Chargers to go ahead and get that long-term solution and someone to take over for him once he does hang it up. And who knows when Phillip Rivers is going to hang it up. We don't know exactly when he's going to do that or if he's thinking even about doing that. And backup quarterback and an individual protege for the Chargers is something that a lot of draft Knicks have talked about for the past few years with the Chargers, and they still have yet to do that early on in the draft. But maybe this is the year to do that, where they want to go ahead and get that long-term answer once Phillip Rivers does hang it up and go ahead and get him in the system to where he can back up Phillip Rivers. So we'll see exactly what happens with Daniel Jones' situation, and his stock might pick back up because he is going to impress teams in the pre-draft process because he is very cerebral. Once he gets up on the whiteboard, as I alluded to earlier, I think he's really going to impress those teams at his pro day, and I think he's going to have a fantastic combine as well. Moving on to my fifth and last ranked quarterback, and it's Will Greer, the quarterback from West Virginia. And we've seen his stock been an absolute roller coaster. He was a lot of people's Heisman favorite coming into the year, and he just did not live up to those expectations. And credit to Kyler Murray. Kyler Murray, Dwayne Haskins, and a host of other guys in this quarterback class had fantastic seasons during their final collegiate year on the college level. And Will Greer had a decent year last year, started off really strong, he once again hit another bump in the road similar to what Haskins did, and he finished up strong for the most part, even though he didn't play in the team's final bowl game because he wanted to sit out to protect his body and protect himself, which he does have the free reign to do that and the right to completely do that. But he is another guy that definitely did underwhelm at the senior bowl, and I just was expecting more from him, and he just looked completely uncomfortable out there. When they did force him to go under center, he just didn't did not look like the same guy that we saw at West Virginia. So there is going to be a bit of an adjustment period for him. And the common comparison for him has been Case Keenum. And I completely see why those comparisons are very valid, because Case Keenum is not a higher echelon type of a starter in the NFL, but he is more of a bridge gap guy and one of the better veteran quarterbacks from around the league that is considered one of those bridge gap type of guys but he just makes life extremely hard on his targets and what I mean by that is his accuracy numbers are going to be very high but as you dive into the tape and you look at his ball placement it is just not very good and what you notice is that his receivers are just having to make these circus type of catches just to catch back up and catch his balls on the perimeter so I don't really have a team fit that I really like for Will Greer right now, but the LA Chargers were definitely one team that was all over him down at the Senior Bowl, and it's just the same situation as I talked about with Daniel Jones. We'll see if they do end up wanting to get another guy in there with Phillip Rivers to eventually take over for Rivers once he does hang it up. So keep an eye on Will Greer with the LA Chargers maybe in the third or the fourth round, somewhere along in that area. And that's today's show. Thank you guys for listening to episode two. We're going to get back to having an interview on next week's episode. I don't want to reveal who the guest is going to be yet because it is going to be a very special one. And I want to announce it on Twitter. So make sure to subscribe to the show. We're going to have so many more guests on. We're going to have so many more interesting topics. We're definitely starting to get into the heavy part of draft season. We have the combine coming up. We'll eventually get to pro days. And then we'll start talking about prospects, team matches, and just some athletic profiles and how those guys did at the Combine. 
and will eventually get to my draft guide which I am releasing at a date to be determined. I'll make sure to release that date not only announce it on the podcast but also on Twitter as well so just make sure to shoot me a follow on Twitter that's at J-R-E-I-D-N-F-L at J-R-E-I-D-N-F-L I'll make sure to post plenty more prospect cutups plenty more prospects that I find very interesting and also the release date for my 2019 NFL draft guide.